Hello everyone. Whether or not you are still on the path that you may or may not have ever been on. This is episode number nine of my podcast, Man, Woman, Sex, God. And my name is Michael Foles. Now, we ended last episode with me intimating that the sweetness and light, which I have been continually saying, is the essence of the feminine principle, ain't necessarily always sweetness and light. So in this episode, I'm going to explain some of the various ways in which the feminine energy can go wrong. Sometimes about as wrong as you can get. Because here in everyday life, we all know of any number of common examples where the feminine principle has gone horribly wrong. There are many stories of incredibly creative artists who end up not happy and fulfilled, but rather depressed, even suicidal. Former President Clinton, who was well known for his almost ladylike ability to empathize, was aptly described as an ongoing conflict between honest, idealistic Sunday morning Bill and lustful, dishonest Saturday night Bill. Robert Duvall's movie, The Apostle, is an impressive fictional account of how the same forces that drive a man to intense religiosity can also drive him to intense violence. Although we definitely don't need to rely on fictional accounts of religious leaders acting badly, there seems to be a new example of one every month or so. But even though it's easy to accuse those who fall of having been hypocrites all along, it's also entirely possible that they were sincere seekers who just happened to have gotten involved with levels of energy that they just couldn't control. Now, notice that all of the examples that I am giving are of men. And it turns out that there are two major ways that men screw up female energy. And no, I'm not talking about everyday life. We all already know about that one. So, let's explain the first, let's say, spiritual problem. Because, of course, it is technically possible for a man to experience the higher state of the religious experience on his own. Which is why, not only have we all come across the occasionally truly humble and modest man in our lives, but there are also the well-known examples of saints and or of realized beings. As I pointed out back in the beginning, however, these so-called advanced souls have usually achieved their state of being after long practice, either through prayer or meditation, of successfully keeping their attention at their third eye. And in practical terms, this is usually a result of the person having spent many years being a hermit or a member of a monastery or ashram. And I'll be referring to why this is usually necessary at the end of the episode. For right now, though, I want to repeat the observation that I made two episodes ago, namely that fish never realize that they are swimming in water. Because, of course, the water that they are swimming in is the entire universe to them, and they don't have a non-water experience to compare it to. 
in like manner, sober men inhabiting the Pingala thread spend their entire lives trying to keep their energy up in their heads because they intuitively know that if they let it all hang out, their life force is going to want to rush down into those lower chakras. They have had no experience of, and therefore cannot really imagine, the female version of life on the Eta thread of positive energy wanting to naturally relax upwards. Therefore, if and when they do tap into feminine energy, which is of a qualitative difference, and which in many ways we can compare to a liquid, and which is therefore almost impossible to concentrate anyway, they can't help themselves from almost inevitably wanting to, as the old folk song goes, follow it down, namely to the sex chakra, which is why when men are asked how they would react if they were a woman, they often respond, then I just want to have sex all the time. Well, this is kind of bizarre because most actual women that you have known in your life most definitely don't want to have sex all of the time. In fact, if you are a man, the women who you have known most probably want to have sex much, much less than you do. Now, a large part of this is because men have up to 20 times the amount of testosterone coursing through them as do women. And testosterone is by far the largest mediator in someone's sex drive. But never forget that there's also that Ida Pingala thing. Even if a male is all new agey and accepts the positive energy naturally relaxing upwards idea, that is all theoretical. Because biologically speaking, and these days culturally speaking too, he has always been primed for sex. So that the purer the female energy he encounters, the more that he can't help himself. And here's the other part of that. After all, I'm not the first person to compare female energy to a liquid. Whereas, on the other hand, I don't know if anyone has ever compared male energy to a liquid. Maybe it's the difference between how testosterone and estrogen express themselves in our psyches. But to me, male energy is clunky, chunky, pushy. Or to put it another way, men spend their lives playing hardball. Women spend their lives playing softball. Now, remember those lower chakras and higher chakras? Well, as I said, it appears that there is some sort of barrier between the stomach chakra and the heart chakra. And the only way through it is if your energy is liquid, loose, small, modesty and humility again. So that besides their never having experienced energy rising upwards, the vast majority of men also have the innate problem that their energy is way too clunky and chunky to rise up, even if they tried. Or, to put it another way, most men don't do humble all that well. 
And when some men do succeed in, usually unknowingly, tapping into female energy, it's mostly as a result of spiritual or religious practices. But, as with all of those fallen evangelists, and again, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They may well start out wanting to take it upwards with the best of intentions. But for men tapping into female energy, the spiritual journey is kind of like climbing a mountain. The higher up you get, the further it is to fall, and the steeper the cliffs, so that sooner or later, the lower chakra lust within them takes over. The liquid follows the downward path of the Pingala. And splat. And one final observation, one that superficially at least kind of contradicts what I've been saying. Because sure, when a man sees even a moderately sexy woman, yes, his basic instinct is that he does want to have sex with her. But I would suggest that there is an even more basic instinct. What he really wants to do is partake of that non-sexual yin energy, female energy, liquid energy, ida energy, happy energy, rising upwards. Because being a man, he can't do that himself. And something inside him really, really wants that energy. Because, please consider this observation. A normally attractive woman who is happy is almost always sexy. But a sexual woman hardly ever comes across as happy. Okay, those are a few of the reasons why it can be very dangerous for half of the human race, namely the male half, to ever even tip their toes into the yin energy. But what about the ladies? Because I've already said that female energy isn't always necessarily good for them either. So, what are the downsides for women? If female energy is the way back to God, then how come there have been so few female gurus Buddhas, or realized souls? Well, first of all, there are the biological constraints. And what do I mean by that? For the entire rundown, I would once again refer you to studying those episodes 46 to 49 in Dial It Back or Die. But since I suspect that most of you aren't going to do that, let me give you a quick synopsis of the evolutionary parameters which affect the human female. Let's start with our giant heads, because our brains have virtually tripled in size from that of chimps and other apes and hominids in almost a geological blink of an eye. And prenatal heads can't be squished in order to go through the birth canal, which is why the hips of female chimps can remain very narrow for the births of their babies, whereas the hips of human females have to be very wide for the births of theirs. But humans also walk on two legs, and we humans just happen to be about the first creatures to ever do that in the entire history of animals, especially 
without our having a counterbalancing tail. And, as you can imagine, this means that our bipedalism is an extremely tricky balancing act. And this means that if the hips of human females got much wider than they presently are, the balancing act would fail and women would fall over. So, combine the fact of our giant heads with our need to walk upright, and this is the best explanation which has been given as to why humans have evolved so that all babies are born around a year prematurely. That's right. We are born naked into this world, utterly unable to live in this world. For instance, in our first year of existence, something like 90% of our energy is used up just wiring up our extremely large brains, which means that way more than just about any other animal, young humans are totally, totally helpless and dependent upon their mothers. Then, add in that young humans require so much care and teaching that they aren't really ready for independence until they are around 15 years old. Then add in that, given that, up until very recently, half of all children died before their fifth birthday, each human mother had to have around six births apiece just to keep the species going. Then add in that, given how painful and dangerous childbirth is, and how all-consuming child-rearing is, if evolution hadn't selected for human women to really, really want to have children, then we also wouldn't presently exist as a species. Finally, evolution has also selected women to have much greater needs for social connection and social interaction than men do. And that, just like everything else that I've just mentioned, is a scientific fact. So, if you put all of these parameters together, not only are most women required to be present for their offspring 24-7, but it is far more innately difficult for women not only to forsake the idea of having offspring, but also to forsake their large web of social interactions. In other words, although the Buddha, Christian monks, and Hindu yogis all could renounce the world in order to concentrate on their spiritual goals, it is next to impossible for women to do this. Yes, both Buddhism and Catholicism offer the possibility of becoming a nun. But the vast majority of women would find such a choice to be rather extreme. And again, if you want a fuller discussion of all that, check out episodes 46 to 49 of the Dial It Back or Die podcast. Anyway, those are some of the physical slash evolutionary slash biological constraints on why traditionally very few women have devoted their entire lives to spiritual pursuits. Although one should also remember that and this has been found cross-culturally, at the same time, in everyday life, women have always been much more religiously inclined than have men. By the way, girls cross-culturally have also been found to want to be good and well-behaved. 
all of which I can attribute to the natural state of the Eta energy to wanting to rise peacefully upwards. But, as I've been saying throughout this podcast, there is something inherently dangerous about the energy going up the spine, what we can now also refer to as lady energy. And now I'm going to tell you what it is. Although to do that, it might be easier to take half a step back and approach the whole issue from a slightly different perspective. Because if you adopt the usual yogic approach to spiritual attainment, namely trying to focus your consciousness at the third eye and meditating there, what you are essentially doing is trying to center your mind, your thinking. And sincerely attempting to do that is just about the hardest thing there is to do in this life. Indeed, yogis have always compared the mind to an enraged monkey, so that it can easily take your entire lifetime to be able to even partially calm it down. So, with your mind in mind, it might be useful to compare said mind to what I am talking about with the Ida and the Pingala and what I've been calling your life force. Because life force is not so much about your mind as about your being. But like the mind, your being also sort of starts out as an enraged monkey. It is vibrating. It's unsteady. It also seeks constant distraction. And if you ever want to experience peace, it also needs to end up in a state of rest. And that's why I've kept harping on about modesty and humility. Because women, A, have their energy innately wanting to go upwards, and B, they don't have to deal with all the testosterone which men have to deal with, which tends to make the male life force even jumpier and more out of control. And so, a woman is naturally in a much better position to calm down her being. Because another way to say what I've been saying is that the way it works is that a calm being will naturally rise upwards, to the heart chakra, and hopefully beyond. And yes, this will also happen to a man who has successfully calmed his being. But, What with their testosterone and all, most men are under a severe handicap in trying to calm their being, which is why, generally speaking, it is up to the ladies to handle this part of the equation. Again, through modesty and humility, which calms the being, and the being being calm, it naturally rises upward and eventually leads to that state of grace. So that in a certain sense, the entire spiritual purpose of a woman's life is in calming down her being, not to mention the beings of her mate and of her children. Although all of what I've been saying doesn't mean that each and every woman will necessarily be successful in, let alone pursue, calming down her being. And of course, in reality, and especially in this day and age, most women whom we know are not in that state of grace. In fact, given 
that this day and age specifically tells women not to be modest and humble. Generally speaking, the entire idea of modesty and humility is actually in quite a state of disrepair. To put it mildly. Because here's the problem. Modesty and humility are necessary prerequisites for the female energy to rise upwards on its own. Without these prerequisites, then all bets are off. Four, modesty and humility, in other words, calming the being or calming the spirit, is yet another way of saying eliminating the ego. And as we all know from our everyday experience, Eliminating the ego is not an easy task. What's more, the nature of the ego seems to be that it wants to use whatever energy it can for its own ends. And again, the situation here in this postmodern world is that just about the entire culture is an exercise in exalting, even glorifying, the ego. You see, it goes back to what I said about the female energy along the Eda thread being analogous to water or to liquid. Now, the thing about water is that it just flows where it will. And while it is flowing, the female energy tends to feel pretty good, irrespective of where it is flowing. So that for females who have not successfully calmed their being and who also, unlike men, have not spent their entire lives constantly trying to control their energy, their being, in effect, can end up flowing to some pretty funky places, especially if the culture which is surrounding them is more or less goading them into indulging in sensuality and letting their being flow there. And the thing is, as it is flowing to wherever it is flowing, there can even be a wonderful feeling of freedom and enjoyment whilst doing so. And if you, as a woman, are that liquid, then you can experience that rush no matter where you are flowing to, whether it is up to God or out to the physical senses and or worldly desires. For it is only when your being has ended up where it ends up that you have to deal with the consequences of having had it let it flow there. Because once you're there, you're there. And then, being liquid, how in the world are you going to climb your way back up? To use an extreme example, when Charlie Manson's girls were out committing murders on his behalf, they were filled with a strange and giddy exaltation honest. And then they had a lifetime of confinement in prison with which to live in the horror of their regret. Fortunately, most of us don't get out that far. But most of us have experienced a variation on the Saturday night bill, Sunday morning bill phenomenon. We drink or take drugs and have a wonderful time doing things that our normal self would have told us not to do. But our inebriated-slash-high self almost luxuriates in them. In fact, under those circumstances, they might even feel right or morally good. 
until we wake up the next day and we have to deal with the emotional and spiritual and maybe physical consequences of where we've landed. As an illustration of how far female energy can go, let's consider witchcraft or magic with a K. After all, the whole premise of all that is that you aren't even going to try to get rid of your persona, your ego. Instead, you are going to somehow harness the intense power of the receptive energy in order to manifest your active personal desires. But even if this were possible to do in the short term, in the long term, your personal energy or will is never going to be even a fraction of the force that you are trying to control. At some point, no matter how strong or powerful you think you are, you will, being human, get tired. And when that happens, what we might call the malevolent side of female energy will take over and everything will come crashing down upon you. Which is why every religion that I am aware of has always treated the idea of magic or witchcraft as pure evil. And which is why the yogis have always stated that even if there really are psychic powers and abilities, and that even if you can indeed access them through the practice of yoga, still, you shouldn't even think of going there. It should also be noted that even among us normal people, most of us intuit that there is something inherently creepy about such energies. We intuit that unless this receptive force is absolutely calm and peaceful, it can be extremely destructive. Even the slightest contamination can muck it up. And even if we consciously understand all this, there is still danger. Because the more progress you make towards modesty and humility, the more dangerous and damaging each remaining trace of ego becomes. To understand this a little better, consider the analogy of a filthy towel. Adding a lot more dirt to it isn't going to make much of a difference. On the other hand, adding just a little bit of dirt to a perfectly clean towel is pretty obvious. In the end, modesty and humility have to be absolute. Being needs to become absolutely still. Anyway, to summarize, female energy, the energy along the Eda thread, when calmed down through a lifetime of modesty and humility, will naturally, on its own, rise up into the heart chakra. But this energy also has the property of a liquid, in that, absent the modesty and humility which calms it down, it will flow where it will. Outward. Downward. You name it. And the worst part is, while it is flowing, it can actually feel free and fun. Until, of course, it lands where it lands. Further, men, generally speaking, should they tap into this energy, will take it downward and outward. Because, since that's where the energy in the Bengala thread wants to go, downward and outward is all that they are familiar with. Finally, 
given that the postmodern woman is specifically told to be pretty much the opposite of modest and humble. In our present cultural state of affairs, it is next to impossible for a woman who has not comprehensively rejected this postmodern world to ever experience not just spirituality, but also the true love which comes from the opening of the heart chakra. But let's put that aside for a moment and consider the situation if and when modesty and humility ever did stage a comeback. Because even in that case, lady energy wouldn't be sufficient in itself. Because first, there is the problem that the heart chakra is such a wonderful place to reside. If a lady found herself in a place that was peaceful, compassionate, and joyful, who wouldn't want to stay there? Especially when that place, in comparison with what men have to deal with, is comparatively easy to attain. And when she can then use that positive energy to help ameliorate her necessary relationships with those children and other beings with whom she interacts. But remember that there are other chakras which are above the heart one, specifically that the third eye is the ultimate goal of the spiritual experience. This is where the circuit is finally complete and where we can finally escape all of our burdens. And this is where, whether the practitioners are consciously aware of it or not, the prayer and meditation common to all religions ends up focusing on. Where most men who are committed to the spiritual life end up focusing on. For women, however, what usually ends up happening is that they spend their whole lives migrating between the stomach chakra with all the worries and needs and cares and wishes about keeping one's physical and social life going and trying to get to the heart chakra with its call of romance and love and selfless devotion. And so, in real life, if a woman is fortunate enough to be able to spend even more than a little time in that heart chakra, that's usually more than enough to completely satisfy her. What's more, outside of a kundalini awakening, the heart chakra seems to be as high as the liquid can go by itself. Finally, there is the overarching problem which I alluded to when I pointed out that when men join ashrams or monasteries, they are, in effect, attempting to become asexual women. And why, if they are trying to be humble, nonviolent, etc., is it necessary for them to join said ashram or monastery? For protection from being bare-ass naked, physically and emotionally and spiritually. Because another plain fact of existence is that this world is not the Garden of Eden let alone some fun playhouse. No, the world of nature really is red in tooth and claw. For instance, it's only been in the last hundred years or so that there weren't many places in the world where animals would actually eat you. And men themselves, without the proper training, 
can be pretty mean and vicious all on their own. So, if some other men, in an attempt to be spiritual, successfully strip off the outer protective layer of manhood while still in the real world and not in an ashram or monastery, they are in effect just asking to be victimized. And the situation is even worse for women, whether they are trying to be spiritual or not. Because female energy, being receptive, being liquid, being open, is also completely defenseless. Not to mention that, as discussed throughout this episode, if it is not kept on the straight and narrow, it can and will become extremely dangerous. Which is why we should now turn our attention towards male energy and how it is integral to the fuller spiritual equation. And of course, by now, I once again mean next episode. Because right now, this episode is over. Which means that once again, it is now time for my friend the engineer to cue the music. <laughs> <laughs> 